Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Uh, talking about fasting today, I wanted to start off with my first experience of fasting. Um, I really don't want this message to come across in a way that uh, promotes legalism or makes anyone feel condemned. Uh, I really want this to be a message that motivates and encourages you. And so I'll start by sharing my story of fasting. When I was younger, um, in the process uh, of me giving my life to Christ, I was about, I was 17 and I was really rough around the edges. And the way that I gave my life to Christ was I just started reading the Bible and it just, God just really spoke to me and showed me what Jesus did on the cross. I never really understood why Jesus died on the cross. I didn't understand the resurrection. It wasn't until I started reading the Bible and I realized that, oh my gosh, he died for my sins. I didn't understand there was a, a debt to be paid. And so anyway, in the process of me giving my life to Christ, I just started reading the Bible from front to back. And I started reading about these people that would fast in the Bible, and uh, I didn't really fully comprehend it, but what I would see is that these people would fast in their, in their closeness to God, in their pursuit of God, or whether they're making requests to God. It was just, the biggest thing I could take away was just that there's some type of connection with fasting and God. And I was like, well, I want to grow my relationship with God, and what I would typically do is, on the weekends, I would... Uh, I'd plan out a weekend to go uh, go back to my hometown of San Antonio, where luckily we're back at now, and I would go to a specific friend of mine's house, and we'd pretty much just smoke weed all day and do drugs and drink all day. Um, that whole weekend, we that's all we would do. And now I'm in this pursuit of becoming a Christian, and I call my friend, and I'm about to about to show up, and uh, it was a couple days before I said, "Hey, look." I, I'm really, uh, I started reading the Bible and it's just crazy, man. I've never uh, knew all this stuff in there. And one thing I had thought about doing is doing a fast. And I explained, you know, this idea that I had about it. I said, I'm pretty sure we're just not going to eat for 12 hours. We're, and so we'll wake up early, have a bomb breakfast. And from six in the morning to six at night, we won't eat anything or drink anything, not even water. And so he was surprisingly motivated to try it too. And then he told his wife about it. And so we all three were going to do it that weekend. And sure enough, we woke up early that, that morning. We made a great breakfast, uh, ate as much as we could. And then, then we started our fast at 6 a.m. Now, I know that this all sounds really noble and like, wow, like just starting off and, and you did that. I also had a little couple kinks on the road of my journey to uh, becoming a, a holy Christian. And that whole day, I smoked weed. <laughs> the entire day, I, would just, I was just toking as much as I could. And I was trying to even distract myself from my hunger pangs. I was like, let me just smoke some more. And, and I already smoked a lot. And so it was just kind of like a normal day. But... I feel like it actually made my fast that much more intense because two specific side effects to smoking marijuana is actually dry mouth and uh, the munchies. 
And so my fast became this, this incredible feat because now I was literally dehydrated, almost barely could talk because of what I've been doing. And, and the, the hunger just grew, grew and grew to where is is almost uncontrollable. Yet I managed to last all the way to six o'clock and thank God, because we had already prematurely uh, planned to go to, uh, to go to China buffet to break the fast. And, <laughs> and so before we, we did, we did what any rational person would do before going to China buffet. I said, Hey, wait, we need to, to end this day, end this fast with a, like a prayer or something. And so they're like, oh, yeah, that's true, bet. And so I, they said, well, why don't you lead us? I said, okay. <laughs> and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just sat down, and I don't even really know what I, what I started to say or what I, uh, what I said, but I just started praying. And while I was praying, I, I felt the presence of God almost like for the first time. And it was so strong and so, so pure and it wasn't that I was high. I was really could tell a difference. And it was like no other drug that I've ever tried before. And it was, it was just so amazing to feel the presence of God. To the point where while I was experiencing this, so was my friend's, uh, my friend's wife to the point where she started weeping. And this is such a meaningful thing to think about because... Um, <laughs> sorry guys, we're, we're having connection issues um, but I think I fixed it. Um, but this was such a meaningful experience because, um, again, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, we are, we're having connection issues with Instagram. Um, and so I'm having to fix it while on the spot. So this is really awkward, but I know that you guys still love me. Um, and, uh, as we, uh, just awkwardly start back up, Okay, so hopefully that works great for Instagram. But um, like I was saying, you know, this this experience that I had um, with these two other people was so real. It was so authentic, and and it was just true, and it was pure, and it all happened during this this awesome moment of fasting. And the things that I want to point out is that during this fast. I didn't even do it exceptionally, you know, like biblically correct, right? I, I was smoking weed all day, but even in my ignorance, even in my my shortcoming, God was so good and and saw past my inequities or saw past what what you know me not knowing any better, and still allowed me to experience something so pure and so great. And so. I want that to be the undertone, the backtone to this whole talk about fasting. That's not about being perfect. It's not about doing all the right steps or all the right things, but that it's just truly about doing your best and forgetting the rest. And so, um, with that being said, we're going to go into our message today. Um, and, and so, starting off, the the very first point that I want us to think about is blockades to our faith. Um, blockades to our faith. The growth of our faith is consistently blocked by our human nature to be comfortable. The growth of our faith is consistently blocked by our human nature to be comfortable. I'm going to read a couple of verses before we dive into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 
verse 31 says, Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. And Hebrews 13, 14 says, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. And then in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, Paul says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God uh, because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So the, the tone to all of these verses is that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And, and uh, sorry, guys. Um, the whole tone to all these verses is that this world is not our home. And, and to not be comfortable with, uh, with life here on this world because we're trying to prepare for eternity. And mankind, all of us, all of humanity, is naturally sinful and is always inclined to please itself. Pleasure, this, let's just focus on this concept of pleasure, Pleasure ranges from sexual fantasies to simple food. And even though these are totally different, they both connect the body to the senses of pleasure. Again, from sexual fantasies to eating certain food, simple food, it, it both causes your body to experience pleasure. And the more that we feed our body pleasure, the more it grows comfortable in the insatiable pursuit of pleasure in this world. Whatever we, we indulge in, it, it will always lead us to needing more and more. And that pleasure that we chase in almost every area of our life, that pleasure that we chase, it always leads us to try to be comfortable in this world. It always leads us to try to be comfortable in this world. Now let's Let's unpack that word comfortable. These verses that we just read consistently told us to not be comfortable in the world, right? <laughs> and now let's unpack comfortable. Comfortability is completely counterintuitive to faith. Faith calls us to trust what we do not see. Faith calls us to trust what we don't see, while comfortability relies completely on our five senses. Comfortability needs to, to touch to see, to feel, to taste, to smell. It needs to experience all of these senses in order to feel content or satisfied. While faith focuses on what's next, what we cannot see, comfortability focuses on settling in and staying where we're at. Even just think about practical habits. Every bad habit is formed by being comfortable. There's not one good healthy habit that is formed out of comfortability, but it's about going against our grain. And this idea of, of comfortability, it, if we, uh, the reason I'm saying it's a, it's a blockade to our faith is because while our faith calls us to step out, comfortability tells us to sit down. And it, it, com comfortability always tries to convince us that not doing more or not doing something that we we're not sure of is is easier and better 
And faith is just, uh, faith will not grow if you choose pleasure and comfortability over the hope and faith of not seeing what's to come. I hope that this is making sense. And the person that I really think about in scripture when it comes to being uncomfortable uh, to grow their faith is John the Baptist. This dude literally wore camel hair as, as clothes. It says he wore coarse camel hair as clothes and that he only ate, that he lived in the wilderness and that he only ate wild locusts and honey. I mean, I, I, I just for years would not understand like, look, you're going to do God's work, then great. But why are you going to live like that? Why are you going to live outside in the wilderness? That's what it, the way it describes it. And you're not going to eat some steak. I mean, even it's like some apples or anything. You know, why, why are you only going to eat wild locusts? I mean, I don't know anybody I've ever met that is just craves insects. You know, oh, I just love the way that the legs feel in my mouth. It, I love the little prickly hairs on it. It's just, it's just great. It's disgusting. And I can't even imagine uh, seeing one of those on the wall and making this horrible, ugly noise. And it's like, oh man, that looks good. Let me eat it. And I would never understand why it was so specific to, to describe how he lived. And one day I really feel like it hit me is that John really set his mind on not being comfortable in this world. That because he had a mission that was so great he had to remind himself daily by his lifestyle not to grow comfortable in this world that will fade away, but to work towards eternity and to, to work for the kingdom. I mean, this dude prepared the way for Jesus and calling people to repent. I mean, that's an uncomfortable thing to do. They call the Jewish people that the Jewish people were supposed to be the, the people closest to God. It's, and it's like he was going into the temple and telling everyone in church that they needed to repent. It, it, was, it was a very uncomfortable thing to do. And yet he was doing the most, the most uncomfortable things in his life because he lived a lifestyle of uncomfortability. And I want that to, to sink in that this, this man lived for uncomfortability so that he would do the works of faith. And if I really believe that he had to stay away from the palaces, he had to stay away from fine foods because it would have convinced him to grow comfortable in this world. Um, so now that we have a concept of, of how comfortability is counterintuitive to our faith, let's talk about the battle of our flesh. Uh, our, the battle of our flesh, it, our bodies are weak vessels that always try to convince us to do less or more than we want to. Let me say that again. Our bodies are weak vessels that always try to convince us to do less or more than we want to. It, and if you think about this, about how our flesh manipulates our minds, it manipulates our minds to agree to do the, uh, something that we cognitively don't want to do only because of how it will feel in that temporary moment. It, it, think about from, from snoozing to alcoholism, our flesh pushes us more and more into our senses instead of what is actually beneficial for our lives. It, it's, I feel like the, the idea of snoozing the alarm clock is one of the best examples because if you think about it, why did you set that alarm? Because while you were in the right state of mind, you said, this is the best time for me to wake up tomorrow, to have a productive day, to have a good day, this is the time that I need to wake up. 
and you mentally set that alarm and prepared, but all of a sudden the time comes and your body convinces you that in that moment, that temporary moment, that extra 10 minutes, that extra 15 minutes, however many times you snooze, that that moment is more pleasurable and more worth it than what you mentally prepared for before. And it manipulates you and convinces you to choose that temporary pleasure over what is actually good for your life, good for your job, good for your, your health. You're all thinking you're going to wake up early, you're going to work out before going to work, and all of a sudden you, you snooze for 45 minutes and now you're running late to work. You know, like it, it, it convinced you to do something that ruined your entire day because your, your flesh is so deceitful and it can convince you to do anything in, in that moment of pleasure. Let me read you a couple verses. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 through 41, it says, Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. It's talking about praying in order to not give in to temptation. It's talking about having a strong spirit, strong self-control, and connecting, connecting it to prayer, and that that will stop him from going into temptation. It, you know, this is so powerful to really think about. And then he goes on to say that the spirit may be willing, but the body is weak. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 23, it says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. You know, I want to unpack this a little bit um, because it's this verse is that Jesus is talking about is directing our spiritual life and connecting it to our body. And it's, it's saying how when your your spirit, when you're, it's saying your eyes are the gateway to your spirit and all that. It's saying when your spirit is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye, when your spirit is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And it's talking, it's making so much connection to your body and your spirit having, having this strong connection to each other. Um, and then it goes on to say that if you, the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. What I believe this really uh, emphasizes is when we believe that whatever we feel is good. It's like Disney completely lied to us. Like, follow your heart. Dude, my heart is the most deceitful thing in the world. It will convince me to snooze when I should have got up. It will convince me to into alcoholism or drug addiction because I feel like I want it. Even though it's self-destructive, I will if I just follow my feelings, if I follow my, you know, my flesh, my heart, it's gonna lead me into doing things that are self-destructive or even uh, uh, damaging to my life, to my health, to my relationships. And, um, and when we make a lifestyle of feeding whatever our flesh or our hearts desire, we will live a life deceived into destruction. When we look at what sin is, sin is really things that are unhealthy to our own bodies, to our relationships, to our society. And some examples, if you think about like stealing, if you think about adultery, if you think about murder, you know, we could go on and on, but the, the results are infidelity, 
broken homes, STDs, chaotic, uh, chaotic, unsafe cities, no peace, health problems. Um, the, the, we could go on and on about how, how damaging uh, these things are and what it is is sin. And when you read scripture, I feel like the more I read scripture, the more I see how down to earth God is. To where these sins that we that we look at as like these just like spiritual things, um, they're really just unhealthy. They're just unhealthy things for for human uh, human beings for mankind, and they truly do bring death. I mean, think about when what happened in Genesis. The whole thing was that when sin enters in, you shall surely die, and the results of sin is death in whatever way, shape, or form. Not it's not always immediate, but it is is deadly. And so while we strive, we, we need to strive to die to our flesh and, and knowing that not everything that I crave is actually beneficial for me. Not everything that I crave is good for me. Okay, so th- this battle is real and we need to acknowledge that. And as we, as we look at, at dying to ourselves, I want us also to not slip into this idea of legalism. Or this idea that we earn God's salvation or earn his love. God's love for us doesn't change if we're a good boy or a bad boy. His love for you is unconditional. And the only way we're saved is by Jesus. That's it. And so us being good little boys and girls, it's not about that. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about being dead and, and finding new life in Christ. That's what it's about. In Romans chapter 7, verse 21 Uh, through 25, it says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. My, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm as a slave to sin. And when we go to the next chapter, in uh, chapter 8, verse 3, it says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. You know, this is such a beautiful, uh, beautiful verses. Paul, think about who the apostle Paul is. He wrote 70% of the New Testament. This dude is like the one of the greatest Christians of all time. And he's saying to us, I want to do good, but I inevitably do bad. The things that I want to do, I don't end up doing. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. So he's literally telling us that he's not perfect, that he has his own struggles. And he's, he's identifying with us in that imperfection. And then he goes on to say, thank God the answer is in Jesus. And what he's, what he's showing us is that when we... Uh, when we are, we're no longer under the obligation of Moses that I was unable to save. Did you know that the Bible describes the law 
of uh, the the moral law of God, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, as a rock that we either fall on and are broken, or it will crush us. And what it means is that it it is to reveal to us how sinful we actually really are. That there's no way to actually follow all uh, to to follow all Ten Commandments. That not one human being can live a life of perfection. That if we break one, it's just like we broke them all. And, and so the reason the law is there is to show us how much we need Christ. And then the Bible goes on to say that, that Jesus, that it says that when we give our lives to him, when we trust in him, that we literally become a new creation that is not dependent on the law of Moses. It, it, it's saying that we have a new nature, the, the, the nature of God, to where we desire the fruits of the Spirit, of goodness, peace, joy, um, and, and, all, uh, and all these things that are, are so good in the world. But we get so stuck on, on traditional church of don't do this and don't do that, and we think that's what makes us holy. Well, it's, it's more so the pursuit of, of following Jesus. It's the pursuit of doing good works in Him more than it is like, oh, I hope I'm not a bad sinner today. It, it's so much more than that. And the Bible says that Jesus credits us righteousness. I don't know about you, but when I got my first credit card, at first, I thought it was my money. But after a couple months, I realized it was never really my money. <laughs> it was just credited to me. And and Jesus, when it says that he credits us righteousness, it means that we have nothing good or righteous within us, but that God credits us that good nature, that he credits us that righteousness, and that uh, to where we are no longer bound by judgment and, and on judgment day, that we don't have to be judged by the law because we were credited that grace. I, I hope this is making sense because we should be so much more focused on on what we can do instead of so worried about what we can't do or shouldn't do it, it i'm not telling us that we should be that we should be just like making excuses to live, live sinful lives of course not what i'm saying is is that there's so much more to focus on than uh, than simply trying to not do this or not do that and so it leads us leads us into our last point which is building of the spirit building of the spirit Fasting is a deliberate choice to grow your spirit and shrink unhealthy cravings. Fasting is a deliberate choice to grow your spirit and shrink unhealthy cravings. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 it says, "Faith shows us the shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see." And in James chapter 2, verse 26, it says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without, work, uh, without good works. Let me pause there for a moment. Th this part that it's saying is that, that faith, is, uh, faith without work, good works is dead. There's two sides to this coin. One is that if we do not, if, if we do not just simply uh, live like Christians, if we don't show the love of God... Uh, to those around us, if we don't behave like the the best that we can of Jesus, then it shows that the faith that we think we may have isn't isn't as uh, isn't as 
fulfilled as it needs to be, that it might actually be on life support. And, and if you're not showing any kind of change in your life after giving your life to Christ, then it, sh- it, it might be that you didn't have an authentic uh, uh, revelation of Jesus. You know, I, I, when I first gave my life to Christ, it was a complete change. My whole life was radically changed. And when I started going to church, I, I was so, you know, uh, it was, I was so moved and changed by Christ. I enjoyed hearing how other people were brought to Christ. And I started act, asking so many people at churches, what, uh, when did you become a Christian? Why are you a Christian? And most people didn't have any answer for me. They just were like, well, I mean, my family's all Christian. And so I just, I'm a Christian too. So, well, when did you give your life to Christ? Oh, I've just always been saved. I've just always been a Christian. And so there's like, uh, the reason that that's scary is because you, you can't, uh, it, it's a dangerous place to be because there's not an authentic change. You can have an authentic change at the age of six, but if, if there's not a moment to where you made a, a, your own personal decision of making Jesus the, the Lord of your life, the Savior to your soul, to where you, you acknowledge Him as your Savior, then I would urge you to, to make that, that strong decision because I believe that every human being that becomes a Christian should have a moment of time where they literally were dead before and became alive in Christ. And if you don't feel like you have that moment, I encourage you to pray about this tonight because it's something serious to think about. And the other side of this coin of being of of faith being dead without good works, what I also believe is that your faith will die if you don't feed it. You, just like your flesh will die if you don't feed it. He's saying body without breath is a dead body. Well, you know, so is faith without good works. That if you do not breathe life into your faith by doing good works, your faith will shrink and it will it will decease. And that's why fasting is such a a, a great thing to practice, especially if you're at a point in your faith where you're thinking like, well, I just feel so cold. I don't feel like praying anymore. You know, I don't even feel like going to church anymore. And you just feel like it's not what it was. You don't feel very passionate. Dude, you should totally fast because it'd be like uh, just like jolting your body awake again. You're, you're literally unconscious in your faith and you need to, you need to feed it. I relate it to uh, love. I, I really believe that love is an action and a choice. It is so much more than a flutter of the heart. Now, let me expound on this for a second. When, say, let's look at love at first sight. Just a look from somebody that you feel like you love or or infatuated with, just one look from them across the room and you're like, oh my gosh, did you see how she looked at me? You know, just just one text, we're like, oh man, I can't believe she texted me or, oh, he, he liked my Instagram photo. You know, just one little thing will set you off. But when you're with that person for a couple years, even even just a couple months, that that while before one look would give you butterflies, now when they look at you, you're like, what? What do you want? It doesn't do it for you anymore. It, if they if they like a photo, it doesn't even it doesn't you don't even second think it. And just a text is while before is like oh just thinking about you. Now when you get a text from them, like I'll call you later. I'm pooping. You know, it's just not as as intimate or romantic as it was and what it takes is 
what happens is that love needs to be developed. Love needs to be fed. And so many times uh, people put so much more work into ordinary things rather than their own marriage or their own relationship. So many guys take more care of their lawn than they do with the love of their marriage. It, it, it is so asinine to me when people, uh, when people say I, we fell out of love because it just is meaning that, that you guys stopped feeding that love. Love is an action and a choice. And the only times that we fall out of love is because we stopped trying. We stopped dating one another. We stopped uh, just doing things for each other. That's why I love giving my wife flowers. It, I, you'll never hear me complain about giving my wife flowers because, one, she likes to receive flowers. She loves it. And why would I not want to feed that, that desire that she has? Why would I not want her to, to, to grow more in love with me? And so I, I love just being able to give her flowers. And, and it, it is a, it, I don't even want to say it's a price to pay, but it's like the idea that it's a small price to pay in order to have a healthy marriage. Would it not be worth it? It's not about an identity thing. It's not about insecurity. It's just simple. If I have to wipe my own butt, then I need to do something for my marriage. If I have to eat every day, don't you think I need to do something for my marriage every now and then? If not every day, if every week, if not every week, every month? I mean, don't you need to do something to keep your marriage alive? I hope this is making sense. Now bringing it back to faith, it's the same thing. We have to upkeep our faith or it will die. And it's just like when you first uh, are coming close to God, anything was spiritual. You just walk outside and you're like, oh my gosh, all of the telephone poles are crosses. This is amazing. I'm getting goosebumps right now. You, you turn on the radio like, oh my God, this, this song is exactly what I needed to hear. But now when you, you turn on the radio, you're like, oh my gosh, another Caleb's Charathon. This sucks. This song sucks. You don't even care about the song anymore. It's so lame and... It, it, it's just different. You need to understand that your faith needs to be developed and you can't just expect the same kind of feelings or goosebumps or things to happen later on in your faith that happen when you're just barely falling in love. You need to do some work. Your faith will die without works. So fast, pray, read scripture, go to church. These are all things to feed your faith. I strongly believe that going to church is one of the best practices of faith because it's just a it's like it's like a regular schedule of of vitalizing your faith. It's just a regular schedule of feeding your faith. Everything everything uh, everything other than that is is amazing too. Reading scripture, praying, fasting. Now going it's finishing off this message with fasting. Um, I want to uh, I want to share just a couple more verses because in John chapter three verse six it, Jesus says humans can reproduce only human life but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. I believe that this verse is so prophetic because he's saying just human uh, our our natural bodies can only produce natural results but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Our spiritual actions produce spiritual results. If you want your spirit to grow, you need to do spiritual things. It, it really does make 
a really simple sense if you think about it. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves because you're feeding your spirit instead of your flesh. The sinful nature wants to do evil. So it's not just you. Everybody wants to do evil. It's our natural desire to do evil, to do what is not right, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. The spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Faith is constantly fighting comfortability. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are no longer under the obligation of the law of Moses. This is what I was saying earlier, guys, that when you just make your, your, your focus about following after God, just really just doing your best and trying to grow your relationship with God. What that means is if we just simply focus on loving God, loving people, making a difference in whatever way we can, then we won't be so fixated in all the idea of what sin I can or can't do. It, it, it's, we're not under the obligation of a sinfulness. We, we are able to walk freely in doing righteousness to where we don't have to constantly be thinking about, oh, I hope I don't uh, accidentally sin today. It, it's so much, it's such a better life to live. And the growth of our spirit only happens by choices. And fasting is one of the biggest choices. This, this whole verse in Galatians is saying, be led by the spirit and you won't do what your sinful nature craves. So that means we have to grow our spirit. Fasting grows our spirit. Practice, it's a practice of denying your flesh and its natural desires, and it strengthens your willpower of self-control. Think about this for a second. Fasting is the idea of not eating food. Whatever kind of food, whether it's just certain foods or all foods, fasting is just denying your flesh its natural desire. It is natural to want to eat food. And so when you fast, you're telling your body, I'm in control. I'm in control, not you. I, I, you may want to press the snooze button, but I'm getting up today. Your, your body is constantly trying to control you. And fasting helps put willpower uh, uh, back in its place. It helps give you self-control. And when you think about this idea of willpower and self-control, it's the same principle as I was saying at the beginning with pleasure. Pleasure is just pleasure. Any, there's so many things that can be pleasurable. But at the end of the day, pleasure is pleasure. So whether, again, it's some crazy sexual fantasy or whether it's a simple food, chocolate, it's pleasurable. And your body craves pleasure. Now, if we think about self-control and willpower, depriving your, your body of food by choice is is practicing self-control to where if you can tell your body no to food for one day then you you will more than likely be able to tell your body no to sin another day you're practicing your self-control you're strengthening your willpower by fasting and while half of the fat uh, while half of fasting is depriving your flesh the other half is feeding your spirit it is not just a growth at the same time, 
And it's not just your spirit growing and your flesh staying here. It's a complete flop. You're literally trying to, to unbalance the scales and make your spirit grow and your flesh weaken. And fasting is not just a hunger strike. It's a decision to feed one thing over the other. It is important to engage in spiritual and mind edifying practices while you're fasting, like reading scripture, journaling, praying, meditating, having times of silence and self-reflection. These are all things to practice while fasting. And I'm telling you, you take just a day of fasting and, and try just, just doing a, a fast and go and go the extra mile and, and choose not to do any entertainment for one day and replace it with journaling and reading scripture, you'll be so amazed at how much you will grow in just one day of fasting like that. Then if you were to just do a hunger strike and be just upset and irritated all day because you're not getting the food that you want, you will truly feel a difference. Don't just numb your mind during a fast by binge watching Netflix instead of binge watching, uh, binging at a buffet. You, you need to make it intentional and serious. And with that being said, I know that a lot of people have questions about fasting. And I want you all to know that you all can always send in, uh, send in your, your questions or thoughts. And we'd love to, to help you out. And this is really setting us up for an amazing 2021. Because every year at Grape Top Church, we do a fast together. We do a 21-day fast together as a church. And... I really encourage you this year to think about doing this fast with us. I mean, what better year, right? The year after 2020, the worst year of our lives <laughs> for some of us. But and, and then it's 2021. I mean, 21 days of fasting and 21 years of the 2000. I mean, it's like it's meant to be. This is your year to do it. And it is really going to be a moving experience. Now, a lot of people have questions about fasting. You can really modify a fast to whatever fits your life. For example, my wife, she's friggin' pregnant and she's also going to be breastfeeding at the beginning of the year uh, because our baby boy is due January 7th. Uh, and so we, she, she has to be able to nourish that baby. And so her fast is going to look a lot different than my fast. We've already been talking about it and she was talking about how um, she's thinking about just doing um, white meats, cutting out red meats and sweets and wheats. And, but, you know, just trying to focus on uh, still this principle of denying yourself pleasure. Well, for me, I usually do a, 20, uh, a Daniel fast, which is pretty much like a vegan diet. No meats at all. No sweets, no wheats, uh, and no, no dairy. And I try to admit uh, that's usually what a Daniel fast is. This year, I've been contemplating about doing a partial fast or a Jewish fast where you pretty much just don't eat for 12 hours. Um, whatever kind of fast you do, I really encourage you to, to write it down. And the other thing that people ask about is, well, I'm thinking about doing an entertainment fast, but I'm not a food fast. Hey, whatever floats your boat, but I really, really, really encourage you to deny yourself some food. Unless you have, uh, you've had a history of eating disorders and they're still fresh 
for you, if you're already telling yourself, well, if I do this fast, I'm going to start losing weight. It, that's not the motivation. And if you have had any history of anorexia or bulimia, I really want to encourage you to, to talk to us about it or, or someone else about it because you don't want to turn a fast into um, a, a trigger for you to fall back into that eating disorder. But for if that hasn't been a struggle for you, and you're thinking about just doing an entertainment fast or just doing a social media fast. I think those things are super healthy because it causes your mind to be present where you're at. It causes you to think uh, in the, the moment you're in rather than trying to numb your brain from what's actually going on. It's so important to do entertainment fast, to do social media fast, but there is nothing like depriving yourself of some food. I really encourage you to cut food out because your body is going to feel it. And that's what you want. I once heard a preacher say, if you're not miserable while fasting, you're not fasting. It is literally to, to emphasize your flesh to decrease while intentionally making your spirit increase. So again, I encourage you to, to write some foods down in your fast. Now, with all that being said, in this, in this talk today, I want to reaffirm that I don't want anybody to feel like God's love for you will be more or less uh, by how much you fast or how much you work, how much you do things. God's love for us doesn't change. It, we are only saved by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. We're grave top because we believe Jesus stands on top of the grave, that he rose from the dead, which means his price that he paid on the cross was a real a real payment for our sins. That's the only way we're saved. And if you're listening to this message and you started feeling just a compelling for you to grow closer to God, I encourage you to pray today. Pray right now, even if, whether it's right now, right after we, we end this message, and pray to God and make a real prayer saying, God, what is it that I need to do right now? Where am I at with you and how can I get closer? Pray something like that and just talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, what is stopping me from growing closer to you in this moment, in this moment of my life? And how can I grow closer to you right now? Maybe some of you need to be asking God, God, are you calling me to start a fast right now? Are you calling me to just join this 21-day fast at the beginning of the year? Does, does my faith need a jump start? Do I need to, to, to get back into the swing of things with my faith? Be praying like that. And if you're here and maybe you're listening to this and you realize that you never had one of those moments that I talked about earlier to where it's a decision you made, a line that you drew in the sand that said, I'm, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to trust my soul, my life with Jesus Christ. And I want to make him my Lord and my Savior. If you are that person Dude, it is so simple. The Bible says in the book of Romans that all you have to do is talk to God. Acknowledge with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and believe it in your heart. It, it just is all it's saying is to affirm what God has done for you and, and, and recognizing and, ex, uh, and accepting the payment he made for all of our sins on the cross and accepting it yourself. And saying it out loud and just simply meaning it and telling God, I want to start this relationship with you. 
Help me from this moment forward to live a life that is after God instead of anything else. Just pray like that. You can make the prayer yourself. You don't even need me to lead you. But if you really do need help, you want to walk through it together, message us. We would love to talk with you. And with all that being said, I love you guys. I hope that this message today was motivating for you. I was really excited to share it with y'all. And next month, we're going to be starting a new series in December called Blessed. Uh, and it is real. I've been really excited to do this series. I've actually been preparing for it for uh, since uh, last month and and the, the month before. And I'm super excited because we're, we're going to be focusing on the idea of obedience to God's will. And we're going to be unpacking what God's will is, talking about our free will, God's will, obedience, all of that stuff. And we're uh, one of the key highlights to the series is the Virgin Mary and how God called her blessed because he tr- she trusted him and was obedient to, him, to, to what he uh, called her to do. And so we're going to be diving into all, all that kind of stuff next month. You're really going to like it. Um, and it's definitely not going to just be a fire and brim. It's not going to be a fire and brimstone. We're all going to hell kind of message. It's really going to be edifying and encouraging to our souls. That being said, I love y'all so much. If you have it on your hearts to give today, you can go to gravetop.com, click the give tab and give online that way. You can also give through third party apps like Venmo and Cash App. And when you give to Gravetop, you make a difference. You help us to reach people that have not been reached before. There's so many people that have been hurt by church and are so scared to try church out again. And you help us reach people like that. You help us to reach people that have never really been connected to church. They've dabbled at going to churches here and there, but never felt like they had a place where they belong. You help us reach people like that. You help us reach people that have never really experienced church like I have, that have never really experienced God. And this is their first time actually trying it out all together. That was me. You help Grave Top Church reach people like that through your giving. So I'm so grateful for you guys. Um, you do make a difference, and we wouldn't be able to do without uh, what we do without you. And like I always say, we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when when uh, they weren't ready to give. This is something that is so personal between you and God. That is the Holy Spirit and you yourself. Um, making that decision, and it shouldn't be pressured or persuaded by some person like me or anybody else. Um, it is a personal decision, and it's an act of worship. And um, God, God sees what you do, and He knows your heart. So that being said, we love you guys. Um, uh, please like and share our videos, and we hope you all have a great rest of your evening. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.